0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. We're thankful that you're here. That's one of my favorite videos. Nate, thank you for doing that. It's talking about a time when the people needed to turn back to God, to return, to rebuild, and restore. God was drawing them back in a special way. And I just think about how many times in our lives we need a a do-over, a starting over. And God's so gracious to be able to uh, give us the opportunity to do that, so... In, in our study of the book of Ezra, and Lord willing, we'll go through the book of Nehemiah, we know that that is returning to the land. It's returning to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, to rebuild God's relationship with his people. Uh, tonight we're going to th- just take a little segment. Uh, I want you to continue to think about Ezra. Ezra, uh, Zerubbabel, the, Nehemiah, the people that God used were were used greatly in the giftings he gave them. Every one of you as believers have at least one gift of the Holy Spirit. You may have more than that. And God wants to use those gifts that he places in the body. That's why we need every one of you. Every one of you are just as important as everyone else. The only difference between me and you right now is I'm standing up. We need each other. And so these men were used like a shepherd, A shepherd to go gather the sheep and bring them back in. Jesus talked about a shepherd quite a bit in the scripture, didn't he? He talked about a a shepherd having a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. He leaves the 99 and he goes after that one. And when he finds that one, he puts it on his shoulder and he brings it back home and the people rejoice because a lost sheep has come back home. He talked about uh, many illustrations Jesus used, but Jesus is the the true shepherd. He's the great shepherd, the shepherd of our souls. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about very simply several people, you know, I'm sure, are called into the ministry. Now, when I first heard that when I was young, I thought you had to be a minister. I didn't know what missionaries were. I didn't know what other uh, giftings in leadership was. I had no idea. There's many different leadership offices in a church and leadership gifts. But a pastor is a shepherd, a caretaker. And I want to talk to you tonight. I'm really going to be preaching to myself, if that's all right. Uh, Y'all can just listen. I want to preach uh, out of those two verses that that they read to us just a moment ago, Jordan did. And in those uh, two verses are tremendous truths that show us what a real pastor should be. I want to talk about pastors that care. I'm thankful to be a part of Denton Bible Church. I've been here now since 2008. I'm very grateful. I love my pastor. Uh, Before, I served as a pastor of a church for a lot of years, and I couldn't say I had a pastor. I didn't. Christ was my pastor. I should have had someone else that I was close to, and I didn't, and that was one of my failures, but I'm so grateful to be here, and I get to say that Tommy is my pastor. Many of you that might be listening online, we welcome you, and we're thankful that you do that every Sunday all around the country. Um, we want you to come and be with us sometime if you've never come, and I'm thankful that I can say Tommy Nelson is my pastor. This is, the, 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 uh, this is what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I want to read to you out of this, this passage, Pastors That Care. Jordan read to us there, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. And let me just read it one more time so you can get that, uh, get that in your mind. But we, Paul is writing back to the church at Thessalonica. We, right above that in verse 6, it says the apostles of Christ. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well-pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you've become very dear to us. You may scratch your head and say, is that Paul? (laughs) That's not the one that I remember in the book of Corinthians. You want me to come with a rod of correction? You got a lot of things wrong, Corinth. You want me to cut When I get there, those that have been troubling you are going to know not only my speech, but they're going to know the power. That doesn't sound like Paul, does it? But we are going to see that it truly was. These apostles were, were chosen vessels by God in amazing giftings. But today, we don't have apostles. We have leaders of the church. We have shepherds and pastors. And, and I just want to share with you, out of these two verses, Uh, Some of the great truths, there's things that are found in these two verses. The caring heart of a good pastor, and Paul was one. Notice what he says first of all, but we proved. What is proof? That is evidence that shows something is one way or the other. The proof is in the pudding. I never did figure out what that meant there. Was there something in that pudding we were eating and something going to show up? I'm not sure what that is. How many of you have heard this phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So a pastor's life, a shepherd in the church that is to shepherd the flock of God should have a life that is proven. In fact, some of the qualifications of an elder or deacon show very clearly that this office that God has called some to, their life has to be proven. They have to be above reproach. That doesn't mean they're perfect. That means that they keep short accounts. When they fall short, they repent quickly and they they don't live a continual, habitual life of open sin. They're begging God as they serve him to change their lives. You know who I'm talking about. You know whether a servant of the church is faithful or not. And So Paul says here, uh, we proved God could truly show by the way someone lived. I always love the scripture. The psalmist says, even a child is known by his doings, whether they they be good and they be right or they be pure. Uh, It takes about 30 seconds to know what kind of child comes in the church service. Would you agree with me? You can know about 30 seconds what kind. And I look around here and I'm thankful we've got great children here. I'm so blessed because I'm looking around and I see babies. Praise God for a newborn right over here, a great family, great couple there. Praise God back here, I see that little one. I'm so glad the babies are here. A lot of churches put them in cry rooms, and Jesus put them in his lap. You want us to stop those from bringing those little children? I think the quickest answer Jesus gave in the gospel, suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for if such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he added this, and by the way, I think he was looking right at Peter. If you're not converted and become like one of these children, you're not going to get there talking about heaven. So the life of a pastor is one that proves it. it's genuine. Uh, a, a real pastor that has a heart of care is not doing it for something in return. You know what kind of people I'm talking about? They are your best buddy when they want something from you. But when you don't have anything they need, they don't care about you. They don't call you. They don't talk to you. They don't even acknowledge you sometimes. That's not what a real pastor is. A real pastor has a heart that is genuine. It's, it doesn't. He doesn't do it for money. He doesn't do it for what you can return the favor. He's not using people. He's transparent. I want to confess to you, uh, 20 years ago, if you told me that, as I counsel with people about all different circumstances, one of the things that a pastor must be is confidential. I've been told things that I will take to the grave. No one will ever know as long as I'm alive some of the things people have told me. I, I follow the example of like I taught my children. I taught my children to not tattle tattletale. You ever teach that? Don't tell on someone unless somebody's going to get hurt. And if somebody's going to get hurt, you come tell and I'm going to tell too. Well, it's that same way in the church. We have to be confidential. And uh, I would listen for hours and hours to people's troubles and point them back to God's word, pray with them, care for them every way I could. But as far as me being transparent with them, I had a little hard time doing that. Anybody with me? Reading James one time, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I would say amen. And that was written to me too, though. (laughs) Mike, you confess your faults to someone. And about 20 years ago, God really dealt with my life. Now I probably divulge too much. I'm too transparent. But a real pastor is willing to be open. And I've uh, asked this question from a lot of people one time. What kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? Now think about that for just a minute. Would the lawn get mowed? Would the building get cleaned? Would the sick get visited? Would the, the elderly be taken care of? Would the orphans be taken care of? Would there be a children's learning center? Would there be services? Would there be somebody running the, if, if what kind of church would my church be if everyone was just like me? When I think of that, I think, oh, I gotta be very careful there because I'm probably lacking in so many ways. I want to read to you. You can turn there with me, but I want to read a great uh, statement that Paul makes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He's writing here to the Thessalonians, and he said, we proved our life was proof. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Let me read that to you. Are we, same same guy talking, apostles, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Uh do you ever have to, uh, to give a reference for someone? Someone comes up and says, hey, I'm applying for a new job. Would you be one of my references? Or perhaps you've had to ask for references. He's talking about letters of commendation. This is a good person. You need to hire them. They're faithful. Paul said to that, is that what we need to do? Look at in verse 2. You are, who's the you there? That's the church. You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Isn't that neat? He says, you don't need a letter about us. You are our letter. Have I been faithful to teach you? Have I been faithful, Paul says, to lead you and to guide you? The queen of Sheba had heard about Solomon, traveled way across the countryside to go and and to meet Solomon. And Do you remember what it says in that great story? When she sees all of him and all of his men and the way they handle everything, she said, I want to tell you, I'd heard about you. But now I've been here and I've seen you. I've seen the way your men and your women act. I've seen the way you approach God. I've seen the way you've taken care of everything and you do things well. She said, it wasn't even the half told me. Happy are your men. Happy are your people. You know what she was saying? The people were a letter she could read. What kind of leader Solomon was. And that's what should be in our church. We are a letter of our pastor. What kind of children do we have in our families? That's a letter that the parents are allowing to be read by everyone. So I love that where Paul says, we as apostles don't need letters of commendation. We need people's lives that are walking like Jesus. That's an open letter you can read. And then back in Thessalonians, the first thing was that Paul said, we have proved, our life is proven tested to be gentle. Now, that's not real cool these days. Uh, You know, especially us men, we're supposed to be. I grew up in West Texas, so it's really just a couple hours west of here. It's a little different world, too. We're taught from the time we were born, you don't cry. Well, I've got a three-inch gash in my head that's going to need to get sewed up because I've been kicked by a horse. Well, just suck it up. I'm not kidding, that's the way we were raised. I've got scars all over me. I don't know if I shed a tear on any of them because I was afraid of my dad more than I was of whatever the hurt was. But here's the apostle, one of the toughest men I believe that ever lived in character, a man's man. And he said, we proved to be gentle. We proved to be gentle. The gentleness of Christ. I want to read to you 2 Timothy 2.24. The Lord's, listen to this, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Your translation may say may not strive or must not argue. Must not be an argumentative person. The servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Now, wait a minute. If we stop right there, you say, well, some people don't deserve for you to be kind to them. Some people don't deserve for you to love them. What did Jesus say anyway? Love them. Well, you just don't know what they've done. Um, Have they taken the Son of God that came and lived a perfect life in front of them that defeated the devil and sin and that was hung on the cross of Calvary? They nailed him there with that hammer and those spikes. Have they done worse than that? Because those people that did that to Jesus, what did he do? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So if Jesus can love them, I'm commanded to love those, not because they deserve it, but because that's the way God is. The servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Correct the people who are not walking correctly. In gentleness. I want to tell you that's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. Some people won't let you do that, but many will. A soft answer turns away wrath. Paul is talking about here we as the apostles were an example. Our life was proven to you, but we were proven as pastors, as shepherds, to be gentle. To be gentle. Uh, there's a great verse in Proverbs 16 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Someone that doesn't get fly off the handle and get angry and get upset quickly. It's better than a strong, strong man, it says. And then the next part, he who rules his spirit, he keeps a gentle demeanor than he who captures a city. The person that lives a life with gentleness, I think when Jesus was alive, if my children were, were there, I would say, go get in his lap. Well, he may pull his beard. Go pull his beard. He won't care. That's Jesus. Nobody cares like he does. Then that person who has control over their spirit and is gentle is stronger than a soldier that captures a whole city. God's trying to tell us something through his word. Pastors need to have a soft heart and thick skin. Anybody say amen to that? We need to have a soft heart but thick skin, because it is a calling from God. Uh, I've told you before, my daughter's a graphic designer, and I wanted her to get all of our staff make a T-shirt that I could hand out to them. On the front of it, it says, welcome to ministry. And on the back is a great big bullseye that we can wear and always remember, you're a child of God, you're a servant of God, you're, you're a target. But God's so much better. He's so much stronger. Uh, We need to deal when we can with a soft hand. Sometimes we can't. Meekness. Oftentimes people mistake that for weakness, and we know that's not true. Jesus was meek, but he was not weak. Moses of the Old Testament was the meekest man in all the earth. But do you think Moses was weak? Oh, no, no, no. Meekness. One of those beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. You remember Galatians 6, uh, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, you see somebody in the church that sins, you who are spiritual, they're supposed to be leaders in the church that are walking right with Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. You who are spiritual, restore that person in the spirit of meekness. You don't go in there and say, I'm going to straighten you out. Aren't they going to say, thank God you're here. I needed you all my life, and you've just shown up to fix me. One person said that they thought they were God's uh, Holy Spirit sandpaper to sand all the rough edges off everybody. i got news for that person. They, they are not God's holy sandpaper. The Holy Spirit has no problem taking care of that for us. But when we can, we need to deal with gentleness, a pastor that cares, is willing to have a gentle spirit. Dwight Moody was a strong man. He was stout. If you see some of his pictures, Dwight Moody, um, Moody Bible Institute, Chicago, Illinois, study about him. He was a strong, strong man. And uh, one day he was uh, speaking to some younger men and there'd been one in particular that he was young, he was stupid, he had made some wrong decisions and done some things wrong. And uh, reading about this, Dwight Moody says, I was talking to that younger man and I rebuked him and said, you need to tarry in Jericho till your beard be grown. Now, if you know what he's talking about there, the, the people of God, the young men of God uh, in Second in Samuel chapter 10 were out fighting the Ammonites. The Ammonites captured them. They shaved half of their Israelite beard off and left the other half. Now, that's pretty goofy. In college, we had one of those, one of those uh, contests, you know, that they could bid to shave your beard. I had a full beard covering up my three chins, you know, and I didn't want to shave my beard, so I spent all the money I had buying my own beard back. But I remember one guy, he got just patches of his beard shaved off. He had to go out to lunch the next day, and it was a, it was a lot of fun, really. But David's men... The Ammonites did that to mock them and to make fun of them. And David said, Tarry in Jericho till your beards be grown. Wait a little while. And Dwight Moody thought that was cute, and he had said that to that young guy. You need to tarry in Jericho. You need to grow up, young man. He saw that it bruised that young man's conscience. It hurt him. Can our words hurt us? We were told to lie growing up. Sticks and stones may. Break my bones, but words may never. That's a lie. Words hurt. Words hurt for a long time. Dwight Moody, they said, this big, big, strong man, realizing that that young man, his conscience was offended, they said he went over and put his big, strong arm around that young man and just hugged him and apologized for what he said. That's the care of a real pastor, it's not harsh. Now, he has to fight the the bad guys. He has to stand strong on God's word, but he's ready and willing to be gentle every time that he can. One of the ways that you can bless little children is be gentle. Be gentle. I went to Israel with a a lady whose dad had worked with the Wycliffe Bible translators for, I believe, 50-something years. He was well-known all over the world. This lady was probably 62 when I visited with her and she began to talk about her dad who was deceased at that time, but she began to cry, a 62-year-old woman. And I said, what is it? She said, I just have great memories. My dad would sit with kings and prime ministers all over the world. He was welcomed in as a celebrity and a dignitary all over the world. And in those meetings... When a little child would walk in the room, he would turn away from that president, that prime minister, that king, and he would make that little child feel like they were the king. And this 62-year-old daughter of that man was just weeping, talking about the gentleness of her dad and how he loved those little children and blessed them. That's the care of a real pastor. Notice what it says next, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, 8. But we prove to be gentle. This is a good one. Among you. Among you. The book where a man says, brothers, we are not professionals. Oftentimes, pastors have become CEOs. Would you agree? They've either come, become celebrities and they've written the newest book and they're on all the talking circuits. Well, there's nothing wrong with that if it's of God and they serve the Lord and they teach the truth. But pastors are not CEOs. CEOs. And Paul is saying here, we prove to be gentle among you. One of the best books I ever read seminary was, Shepherds Smell Like Sheep, because they've been around them. And you're going to get some of that on you if you take care of shepherd, uh, sheep, aren't you? You cattle people, you're going to get some of that on you. You cannot help that. Shepherds need to smell like sheep, because they've been with people of God. Did Jesus do that? When they needed to talk to Jesus, did did they say, well, I'll get my people to talk to your people and we'll set up a time. Could I come and... No. Jesus was among them. He ate with them. He went to their homes. And a real pastor that cares for the flock is among them. He's not aloof. He doesn't act above everyone else. I heard about a pastor one time. He sits in the back of the suburban as a general and leading the people. And that, some people think that's the, that's the great model of leadership. Well, that's not Jesus' model. He was the greatest of all, and he humbled himself, and he was among his people. We're not to be in a penthouse office separated from the common man. There's a great verse in Proverbs 27. It's verse 23. Probably some of you have heard this many times. It says this, Know well the condition of your flocks... Would that be important to check check your cows every now and then? You got to check. He's talking about a shepherd here with sheep. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. When you look at the the Hebrew word that is used there for the condition of your flocks, you know what that that word means? It means you need to know their face. Now, how close do you need to get to a sheep before you can recognize his or her face is different than the next one? (laughs) That's pretty close, isn't it? You've probably heard a lot of times about shepherds and sheep. Sheep know their shepherd's voice. Right now in Israel, a lot of sheep will get together. They're still shepherds just like there was 2,000 years ago. A lot of flocks will get together. They'll feed and water. But when the shepherd calls his sheep, they know their shepherd's voice. They immediately separate, and they go join him. Jesus said that same thing. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. But you know what? That shepherd needs to know his sheep. Well, that's old Lucy over there. Lucy likes uh, fresh water. She needs to be first. There's old Bill over there. He eats a lot of food. I got to get him a lot because he needs it. And a real caring pastor knows his people. Now, I want to give a little slack here. In a church of 4,500, 5,000 people, Please don't ever be offended if you walk up to me or to Tommy or one of the other pastors and and say, "Well, what is my name?" They do that they did that to Billy Graham one time. Billy Graham who went all over the world, preached to millions and millions of people. He said all the time people came up to me and said, "Do you remember me?" He said, "Well, you look familiar. You have two eyes, two ears and a nose, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. Give a little slack to your shepherds and pastors that, that might not know your first name or your last name, but just tell them what it is. And Shepherds need to know their herds. I'm going to ask you to, to look with me in Jeremiah 23. I think Nate's going to put it up for us. Um, this is the seriousness of that, Jeremiah 23. God rebukes... The shepherds in the Old Testament pretty severely. In Jeremiah 23, right at the first of the chapter, chapter look at these words here. Woe. Now, anytime it starts out with woe, that's not good, right? Woe to, pa- to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. Now that tending there, that word in Hebrew means to visit them, to take care of them, to shepherd them, okay? So he says, woe to them that are supposed to be tending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. You've not attended to them. You've not cared for them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you. That sounds like my dad growing up with us five children. You have have, uh, uh, picked on your little brother enough. I'm about to pick on you. And that was not a happy day when I heard those kind of words. God said, you have not attended. I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries, whether I've driven them, and bring them back to their pasture. They will be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them. God said, we got pastors that won't tend to the flock. I'll replace them. I'll get them out of there, and I'm going to get some people put in there that will visit my people, that will care for my people, and that will tend to my people. I'll also raise up shepherds over them. They will tend them. They will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness. He's talking about Jesus there. Pretty strong rebuke to the shepherds of the Old Testament. You've scattered my flock. You have not visited them. You've not cared for them. You've not shepherded them. I'm going to replace you, and I'll get someone who will do that. So when Paul, back in Thessalonians, said, we proved to be gentle among you, he was among the people. He wasn't too important for them to talk to. He wasn't too separated. He didn't uh, say, I'm the varsity and everyone else is the junior varsity. He didn't do that. Those apostles were among them. Um, Somebody may say, well, Mike, do you practice what you preach? I'm going to put that in practice here for a moment. We've got a lot of visitors here tonight. Thank you for coming. If you have not filled out one of those information cards, there's one right out there on the counter before you leave, please do that so we can pray for you. Thank the Lord. Some of you have been here many times. If you've never filled one of those out, would you please so I can email you during the week? I didn't send out an email this week, so don't think I I forgot about you, but I would love to do that. But I'm going to do something else. If there's any of you here tonight, I don't care if this is the very first time you've come to church or you've been here a lot longer than I have, and you would like a home visit from one of us, the leaders of the church, Would you pull out a piece of paper, write your name on it, your contact information, and give it to me before I leave, and we will come visit you in your home. I don't want to preach it and not practice it. So there's nothing I love any more than go to people's houses. I'm kind of famous for not calling ahead of time. So, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Now you won't write your name down. No, we will check ahead of time and see if it's good. I can't help but look and see if right here on the second row of one of my heroes, Bonnie. She's probably visited more people in her ministry and her life than anybody I know of, cared for them in situations that you and I, you know, uh, first responders run to the building on fire. A lot of us run out of it, right? She's one of those that runs too, and I'm grateful for you, thankful for you. She knows how, knows how important it is to visit. I'm going to blow, I'm not, but the word's going to blow your mind right here, okay? He said, but we prove to be gentle among you as a, now any kind of analogy could be used, a metaphor in different ways, but he's going to describe the apostles as something that just really surprises me. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You know, I told you we were so blessed to have some of those children here today, newborn babies. Dads, are they taking care of those babies right now? They are, aren't they? Just exactly what Paul said. We as apostles are like nursing mothers tenderly caring for her own children. I don't think there's anything more beautiful on the whole planet than a good mama that takes care of their children. Some women say, oh, I gained weight being pregnant, and it's hard, you know, and we've got all these kids. And we t- I want to tell you, you are the most attractive women in the world when you're a good mama. I called my mom mama. And the apostle said, he could have used any illustration. We're like a soldier. We're like an athlete. He did oftentimes. But in this case, he said, we prove to be gentle among you like a nursing mother us guys need help a little bit because we're not mamas. Uh, Holly was gone when our, our children were little and my daughter had a really beautiful long brown hair and And it was time for church and we got there early because I was uh, taught Sunday school and preached. And so uh, Holly was gone and I thought, how am I gonna fix Katie's hair? <laughs> I hadn't practiced that much, I should have practiced but I did the best I could. I think she had a ponytail sticking out like this, you know, on the side. And finally, I got to church with brushes and combs and and asked one of my good friend's wife, I said, would you please help Katie's hair so she won't be embarrassed? And she said, sure. And she did it so easily. Us husbands, we need all the help we can get. Of all the correlations that Paul could have used that the apostles are like this, he said, we're like nursing mothers that care for their children. That's probably why when boys grow up and become professional athletes and they turn the cameras on them, who do they say hi to? Hi, Mom. Us dads, we don't get any recognition, and, but that's okay because you moms are very special. A good pastor cares for the people of the church like a strong, kind, loving mama. Look at verse 8. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection. That's a genuine care. It's not fake. It's not artificial. It's not to get something from someone. It's, it's genuine. Um, the young people today, the millennials today, you know, we hear a lot about them and people either say good things or they say negative things. A lot of things going on in the world. I want to tell you, some of us older folks, they're going through some things we never were challenged to go through. So you pray for them and encourage them. But I, 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 want, to, I, I want to tell you one thing. Millennials today can spot somebody that's fake. Millennials can spot something that's not genuine. And I love that. Paul said, we had so fond an affection he truly loved those people. There was a kindness, a friendliness. It was not a drudgery. Oh no, I've got to go to that church with all those people again. We talk about Mike Shear on our staff, the head of our missions department. He said, I'm gonna have a church one day and it's gonna be called No People Bible Church. I think that's pretty cool. We always say, the fact is sheep bite. Ministry is not easy. But here Paul says, we have so fond an affection for you. Um, If someone tells me that they're called a pastor and they don't like people, I'm going to tell them, you're in the wrong lane. You need to start over some other career path. Because pastors need to like people. Pastors need to love people. I don't have too much confidence in their call if they're not a people person. You know what? Everybody needs to be liked. Everyone does. Everyone deserves that. We need to love one another. 32, above 32, different times in the Gospels, Jesus said to love one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another, the one another's. I remember a song from several years ago that the children just loved, and it was simply entitled, He Knows My Name. You want to make a, a child feel good, Ask them what their name is. And then the next time you tell them, you see them, call their name. They know my name. Paul says, having so fond an affection for you. We love you guys. For you, we were well pleased. If somebody is miserable in the ministry, get out. Get out. That doesn't mean you don't have hard days and you go home and your wife says, what in the world has happened No, that doesn't mean that you won't have those days, but if you're miserable and it's a drudgery to serve in the ministry, do something else. Because Paul said we were well pleased, happy in the ministry. Uh, When I was in high school, some of us attended uh, a play in another church in a big town uh, over the life of Jesus. And it was so cool. Um, uh, it was the first time I sat by this one girl that was my girlfriend for a while, so it was all brand new, and so it was a fun night, and I remembered it. But I loved the play, and I, I was watching the guy that was playing Jesus. He was a pretty young guy, and I thought, how cool that was. I would love to, to be in a play and play the, the part of Jesus sometime. And uh, when the play was over, we went and talked to some of the actors, so I went and talked to Jesus. Jesus. And I asked him about things. And when he talked with me uh, about his effort in the play, I was telling him how good he did. His response to me was, this is a pain in the... Now, in my notes, I have just a a line, underlined there. I'm going to say neck for tonight, okay? He didn't say neck, but this is a pain. And it just destroyed all my faith in Jesus, the guy who was playing the part in Jesus. Because I thought it was so cool. What a great testimony. And he said, this is a pain. He didn't want to be there. That's not the way a pastor should be. A pastor shouldn't be fake. And a pastor should be somebody that's caring, that loves to shepherd God's people. Passionate with a priority. Uh, His fulfillment and satisfaction comes when God's saying you did well. He love my people. John the Apostle. I love John. I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to him. He's the one that Jesus said, take care of my mama. I've often said, he didn't tell Peter to take care of his mama. Peter would have lost her. I'll guarantee you. But John, John said, I have no greater joy than my children walk in the truth. No greater joy than that. He was a real pastor. We were well-pleased to impart. I'm going to go quickly, to impart, to give. A real pastor is selfless, not selfish. He's giving. Real leaders in the church, you ladies that are leaders in the church that have a great heart are giving. You're not selfish. You don't want for yourself. You're generous. They want to see the blessings of others. Paul was in chains and he stood before Festus, and he stood before Agrippa. And Agrippa says to him in the book of Acts, the 26th chapter, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. I've always thought about that phrase. You almost, that old hymn, almost persuaded. And Paul said, I love his response. I wish that not only you, but all that are here today were just like me, except for this chain." Now, is that not cool? I want you to have what I've got, but I don't want you to have a chain on your foot. That's a real shepherd. That's a real pastor. We were ready to impart, to give. There's a story I might have shared with you before. I'm going to share it again quickly. Charles Plum was a United States Navy jet pilot in Vietnam. He flew 75 combat missions. You don't think he knew who held his life in his hands? His plane was destroyed by a surface-to-air missile, and he ejected and parachuted into enemy hands. I've never parachuted before, but can you imagine what he went through that day? He ejected, parachuted into enemy hands. He was captured, spent six years in a communist Vietnamese prison. He survived the ordeal, and now he lectures on lessons learned from that experience. One day, he and his wife were sitting in a restaurant eating a meal, and a man at another table came up to him and said, You're plum, That's his last name, your plum. You flew jet fighters in Vietnam from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk and you were shot down. Be careful wherever you go. God can send somebody that knows you. I promise you. Uh, The man said, how in the world do you know that? And the man responded to him, because I'm the one that packed your parachute. At that minute when he heard that, how much did that man uh, named Plum care for that man that he'd never met before? Because he packed the parachute right that saved his life. And how much did Plum's wife care for that man? Thank you for doing a good job in packing my, my husband's parachute well. You didn't skip parachute packing day at school. Well, you know what real leaders and real Christians, every one of you here tonight, you know what we're doing? We're packing other people's parachutes. They may never know who you are, but do it well. Do it to the best of your ability like Christ gives you the strength because you're saving people's lives. Don't ever forget, you're packing people's parachutes. Paul said, we were well pleased to not only impart to you the gospel of God. The first thing they, that those apostles wanted to give was the word. It's got to be paramount. It's good to give a sandwich. It's good to give some utilities. It's good to give some a uh, coat and shoes and blankets. It's good to give all those things. But the, the, the thing that people need the most is the word of God. It must be paramount. Sola Scriptura, the high view of God's word. It's above all. And Paul said, we were not only ready and pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God. And you know how they could do that? Uh, You might have heard that you can't peddle unapplied truth. What does that mean? You can't give away what you don't have. Remember Ezra that Chris has taught us recently out of chapter 7? 7.10 is one of my favorite verses. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it or to practice it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. He set his heart, study, do it, then he could teach. And that's what Paul's saying here. We have a life that we can teach now because they've done it. They imparted the word of God to them. They're not somebody trying to give away something that they don't have. He said not only were we ready to impart the gospel of God, but also our own lives. A real pastor lets you in his life. Now he doesn't tell you personal things, private things that don't need to be discussed, but he lets you in his life. Would you pray for me? I asked people. I did a elders conference in East Texas this weekend last uh, and uh, I had a lot of people praying for me. Would you pray? I want to be talking to elders about how to get over some church hurts and where they need to go in their church. Would you pray? And it turned out wonderfully. I'm so grateful. But I invited them in my life because I need them. Paul says, we were not only ready to impart the gospel of God, but also our own lives. We need to do life together. That's the way a real pastor is. And then finally he says, because you had become very dear to us. I was over there right where you guys were singing, and I was singing too, but I had my phone out, and I was looking at some of my contacts I, I have people from years and years and years ago that all I'd have to do is pull up their contact and send a text, I need you, and they'll say where and when. Brothers and sisters of Christ, and you guys are valuable to me. You are my family, and I truly mean that. And Paul's saying, you become very dear to us. A real shepherd loves the people of God. Proof, gentle, among, care, love, happy, impart, gospel, life, and then I have some more, but it's time to quit. Jeremiah Denton was another soldier that for eight years was held captive in a POW camp. He wrote a book called When Hell Was in Session, what it was like to be a POW, but he also gave his testimony and how God worked in his life and took care of him through those years. He is the man that some of you older folks like me probably could remember. They put him on uh, TV and the, the, uh, the other country dressed him up and cleaned him up and fed him, made him look look okay, and he is talking back to the United States. But the whole time that he's saying they have, uh, you know, they've given me food and he's, they're making him say those things, do you remember what he's doing? He's blinking his eyes in Morse code, and he says, torture. And I'm not trying to be political here. There's God's people in all nations and all countries, and I love people from every nation we've ever been at war with here in the United States. And So don't lump somebody just because somebody of their country. If you don't want to get lumped with everybody in America, ooh, I sure don't, do you? God let this man come back home and, there's a video that you can watch where he gets out of the plane, he, he kisses the tarmac, and then he goes up to the microphone and he talks about very briefly how thankful he is to come home. And they wrote a song about it. And I want to close tonight. I think that this song depicts talking about a soldier here, but it's talking about a pastor that really cares, a pastor that cares. And when you think about that, remember those two, two verses in 1 Thessalonians. What Paul just said, this is the kind of shepherd that we're supposed to be. The song's called, It's an Honor to Serve. He was just a young man when he first heard the call. Come and join in the battle. Come and give us your all. As he rose up to follow, leaving all else behind, he joined in this song when he reached the front lines. It's an honor to serve, to join in the fight, to lift up my voice and to lay down my life, giving glory to God, seeking none in return. It's an honor to serve. Now the day he was captured, they locked him in chains, and though weeks turned into years, still his faith stayed the same. As his body was broken, his dark hair turned gray. But each night in his cell, he would stand up and say, It's an honor to serve, to join in the fight, to lift up my voice, and to lay down my life. Giving glory to God, seeking none in return. It's an honor. It's an honor to serve. Now, one day the war finally came to an end, and he spoke with his heart as he stood with his men. We are honored to have the opportunity to serve our country under difficult circumstances. We are profoundly grateful to our commander-in-chief, to our nation for this day. God bless America. As they lifted the flag at the front of the crowd, I watched him stand up and bring his hand to his brow. Oh, Lord, help me remember what true honor means, and no matter the cost, to stand up and sing. It's an honor to serve, to join in the fight, to lift up my voice or lay down my life, giving glory to God, seeking none in return. It's an honor, an honor to serve. A pastor that cares. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these two wonderful verses in Thessalonians that Paul on behalf of the rest of the apostles, shares their heart as a, a shepherd, a leader, someone who guided God's people and cared for them so much. Oh, forgive us, Lord. All oh, forgive me where I failed you and, and lazy or tired or discouraged. And just take all those things away and give me a new vitality and spiritual strength and courage to remain faithful to you, to love God's people well. I thank you for Paul. He is saying these things, having been beaten and thrown in jail and eventually would give his life for the gospel's sake. And others came in his wake. I thank you for everyone you brought here tonight. And I visited with some of them, and some of them have been those servants that ran to the sound of the gunfire. honor them. May we all here tonight seek to be the shepherds in our own calling, to love people as we should, to visit them, to care for them, to impart the Word of God every time that we can share our testimony, to love as we should love, to be among them, to be gentle, to be caring by your power to be faithful. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.